I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod podcast. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. And as usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will. We have what's popping, Will. What's popping, Adam? It is good to have you back, my friend. Are you rejuvenated? I'm feeling fresh, dude. My tan's still here as well. We're not nearly in two weeks. <laughs> you know, I still, still a little bit darker than what I usually am. I don't leave the house, so, you know, that's going to fade quickly. But, uh, no no burns though, right? All tan, no burns. Well, I had slight burns. So what was happening was like, <laughs> I'd burn anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I, it's rare that like my face is tan, my arms are tan, the rest of them is just not n- no different. But we were using like a spray on sunscreen and um, yeah. it just wasn't doing anything, dude. So the one day it was like blistering hot and um, I just burnt across my shoulders. So it was like after sun, Greek yogurt, because that helps revitalize the skin and the aloe vera gel. But uh, like, you know, other than that, it's just all tanned, dude. It was a, it was a super chill, super chill vacation, man. Yeah, I was loving the photos you were taking, man. I was I was really jealous. You know, it looked like I saw some of the what was it, the marina that yeah. you were at around nighttime. It looked uh, it looked dope, man. I mean, being on the water for me, whenever you know someone asked the question, "What's your dream vacation? Where do you want to be?" Yo, give me water or give me death. I always want to be around water at all times. And you know, it's funny. My my partner is not as big into water, and so she'll always tell me, like me and my friends, she's like, "God, you and your friends love being around water," and I'm like damn right <laughs> it is my it's my it's my favorite thing to be so whether it's a beach a lake uh you know i prefer a beach but if it's a beach lake pool, you name it that's where i want to be and you know the the pictures that that you are sharing on uh on instagram maybe twitter too but definitely on instagram uh i was digging the vibes man i'm glad you and your family you and taylor gang had a chance to to get away and uh enjoy some time together yeah man so i'm similar to you i love being around the water but i'm very like str- i'm not the strongest of swimmers i've got that hood tendency in me so um to quote Jerry Butler, so I definitely like to be by the water and on or in. Um <laughs> and I'm very big where I'm from, well where in England I am, it's everywhere's flat. Do you know what I mean? Obviously you have hills, but there's no mountainous regions for a considerable distance. So anytime I'm around mountains, I, I'm I really like the scenery from that because it's so different to my day to day. So like, you know, when you're in LA or when I was where I was this time in Malaga. And you've got like the mountainous regions behind you and then the open bodies of water. Yo, that's my jam. So uh, I was having a good time, man. I was having a good time. Picture perfect, man. Well, we're happy to have you back here. I know you uh, got to got to kick off some of the some of the dust with Brendan the other day. You guys talked a little bit about 2K, got in got into that perspective from uh, from a King's angle. So I'm happy to be back so we can do a all Celtics broadcast here. Yeah, and we don't have Brendan throwing shade at the Celtics, not putting him in <laughs> tier one. I mean, what is this, Brendan? Hey, man, as as a Kings fan, you got to try and bring people down with you, right? You got to oh, gotta bring them down to your level. And uh, you know what? I, I like it, man, because sometimes it gives you a different point of view. And, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to know what people outside of the fan base think. Right? For but, sure. I mean, it, it kind of, it, it allows you to set your own expectations or reset your own expectations sometimes because for for me and i'm sure this is the same for you 
I like to almost check myself sometimes. Like, am I thinking, am I thinking this, whether it's positive or negatively about a certain player, about certain scenario or, you know, signing trade, whatever it might be concerning the Celtics is my, like, is my perspective biased? Am, am I being, is my judgment being clouded? And sometimes it's nice to hear, oh man, you, you guys really like that move that we made or why aren't you guys as excited for X move? that we made as I am, what am I seeing or what are you seeing that I'm not seeing and vice versa? And I, and I think it actually helps to bring a more well-rounded perspective that, that we can give now between the two of us have our conversations and be able to give that to the listeners. So I love those type of combos that, that lets you, you know, think outside our Celtics bubble that we can get wrapped up in. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, man, sometimes, you know, when you watch a team so much and they're the team that you watch every game from twice, it's very easy to start overvaluing and undervaluing guys. Yeah. You know, because they're the guys that you see constantly. So their value is always going to hold that little bit more weight for you. And that makes it fun sometimes when someone's like, yeah, Jalen Brown did deserve to be an 87 in 2K. And I'm like, are you mental, bro? <laughs> or, you know, maybe that's just the green goggles a little bit. I try not to let them get too deep of a tint, but they're definitely there. They're definitely there. And I embrace that. And you said, like, you know, when people are, Oh, so I really like this move. Or maybe I don't like this move. But the Celtics made a move. They made a move yep. on Monday. Reported by Celtics blog slash Sliat CLNS's Bobby Manning. Shout out Bobby. Breaking news. Shout out, out Bobby. Young Shams. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. Is it Shams? The funny part is Shams is, I don't know how old Bobby is, but they're either about the same age or Shams. Shams is super young. So he might even be younger than Bob. And then you look at Shams, you're like, man, what was I doing with my life if he managed to do this? I mean, have you ever heard? Have you ever actually heard Shams's full story? No, isn't it? It's pretty wild. This, I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't want us to go too far down this, but he basically started doing this. I believe it was in high school, and he was. I want to say it was in the Chicago area, and he was kind of breaking news for G League, and somehow like got himself into uh, the Bulls media. You know, like being just like just kind of hanging around, and so like this dude has been doing it for you know ten plus years, but it's because he started in high school. He was doing reporting and you can I think you can search back in his Twitter history to the very beginning. And he, he's tweeting about like in between lunchtime and then also tweeting out, you know, G League assignments. So it's it's really impressive of what his story is and where he's come from and, and for him to be where he's at now, where he's at the pinnacle of, of you know, newsbreakers in the NBA. It's, it's I mean, it's him and Woj one, two. You can look at, you know, guys like Chris Haynes, sometimes Zach Lowe, not really Zach Lowe, but sometimes KOC or others get scoops. But for the most part, you know, everybody that's involved in, in NBA media, you've got those notifications and it's for Woj and it's for Shams because that's when, you know, the news breaks that you got to be on top of. Man, and it's crazy, right? Because like they always tell you, you need to know what you want to do. And I'm always like, at school, you must be mad, man. You need to get a little bit older first. Man, I'm in my mid 30s. I don't know what I want to do yet. I'm <laughs> like, is this what I want to do? Is this what I'm going for? But yeah, it took me until my 30s to get there. So that same as me, I think I was 29, maybe just turned 30 when I decided, Joe, let me try and do this basketball thing. And then it went until I was, I'm 34 now. So, so I was 28, sorry, 28, 29. And it went until I was 33 that I managed to like make it a gig. So, you know, it's, it's a tough, so Shams had the right idea, man, but there's no reverse button, man. There's no reverse button, but I'd love to have that. You like, um, I don't know. Do you know who Lil Dicky is? Yeah, of course. I love Lil Dicky. You ever, uh, the show Dave on FX is fantastic. Love it. Love it. So, so good. The freestyle he did when he was on Sway and one of the lines he dropped was players in the NBA text me. And I was like, I'd love that. 
sick by the way within yeah, this way yeah you wake up in the morning and you got jt like yo what's up Ad? what are you doing like, <laughs> i aspire instead grant williams comes rolling through england doesn't even hit you up yo same man alex caruso <laughs> did the same thing kd was in london none of these people hitting me up i'm just like man do you even know i exist probably not but that's not the point right like no bro so uh yeah we're getting there though man it's a process it's a process or a process Okay. Um, I said that in the last episode. I don't think it went down well, so I'll do it again. So we've got Lehman. Jake Lehman joins the Celtics on a training camp deal. Another wing. Plays the three. Plays a little bit of the four. Unlike the rest of the dudes that have been brought in, Lehman hasn't really fell out of the league. He was with the Timberwolves last year. So had spent three years with them, three years with the Trailblazers beforehand. Hit free agency this year. Didn't really seem to have much of a market. And I think a lot of that is due to his offensive struggles, right? And like, he's not the best three-point shooter, shot 30% from deep. Uh, you know, he's hits at the rim at like a 69% clip, but he's only took 341 attempts for his career. So it's not like his high volume. Very much a garbage time minutes in the last year with, um, with Minnesota. Has had a bit of a different up and down career there. But obviously when he got, when he, when they signed and traded for him, he had a bit more of a clearer path than Jared Vanderbilt gets drafted, Anthony Edwards gets drafted, they acquire Tyrion Prince, and all of a sudden, Lehman finds himself buried down on the, the end of the rotation. That's pretty much what's going to happen to him if he signs with Boston, too. Like, he's not going to get, look, he's not getting considerable minutes, bro. Yes. Yeah. No, I not. mean, this is this is a little bit along the lines of the, of the Noah Bonley signing in the sense that. There's a hometown kid, so to speak. You know, he's yeah. from uh, just outside of Massachusetts, went to King Philip Regional in, in Rentham. I believe he's from Norwood, Mass. So it's, it's a little bit of kind of a feel-good story, right, as you as you head into training camp. And it is kind of nice. Maybe Shabazz Napier is next. We'll see. Who knows? You know? <laughs> so it's, it, it is nice to have that going into it. But to your point, you know, this is one of those signings where – and we've talked a little bit about this, and we'll, we'll do some more here on, on this podcast – the Celtics are seeming to accumulate these guys that have had a little bit of shine or a little bit of run here and there. You know, they're, I believe you had a great term there. They're young veterans, yeah. you know, guys that, that they're not old, but they've been in the league. They've had a couple of shots. And you've got that with Lehman, with Kabokolo, with, you know, with, with Noah Vonley, Justin Jack. And the list goes on. We're going to talk about them here. And it seems like what the Celtics are are opting to do with these final couple of training camp roster invites that they have is let's gather these guys that we know, you know, have had a shot and still may have some potential, but can give us some back end insurance that, you know, we didn't have last year because we've talked about it. The, the back end of that Celtics bench that went out in the Malcolm Brogdon trade might as well have been me, you and Greg. Like that's that's the type of, of significance that they had on this team. And and none of them really had any type of former, even borderline NBA pedigree, which is kind of what all of these guys have in common is they have a borderline NBA pedigree in the sense that there might have been a moment where, you know, especially if you look at a guy like Jake Lehman, his second or was it third year in Portland, look like, hey, maybe this guy's a, a solid bench piece that you might have. And then as he goes to Minnesota, you see it start to decline continuously throughout his three years there. And you're like, I don't know, but maybe it's a change of scenery. Maybe it's coming home. And so I think for the Celtics, it's, it's a matter of, of a little bit more quantity over, over necessarily quality. And then see if maybe from that quantity, you can get something to pop that just gives you a little bit more insurance, but these guys are going to be the 14th, 15th guys on this roster as it is. 
Yeah, and I mean, the Miami Heat have been exceptional at this over the years, finding these guys that were undervalued by other teams and then developing them into a reliable rotation player. Now, we're not saying that any of these dudes are going to come in and get 10 to 15 minutes a night, but spot minutes here and there where they can be valuable is more than enough to see what's under the hood and decide whether or not they're worth keeping around while you continue to develop them. That's why they're young vets. Now, Lehman doesn't really fit into that young vet mold. He's already 28, going to be coming into his age 29 season. He's not exactly a young dude, but he's probably the most complete guy coming into the training camp battles. Uh, exceptional, well, I wouldn't say exceptional, a talented defender, uh, very good at switching, comes from that Chris Finch system where they switch heavily anyway, switch heavy, ball pressure. That's the type of defense Chris Finch likes. Lehman fits that, you know, he's switched between three, four, and five quite consistently, went on the floor for Minnesota over his three years, did a little bit more switching onto ones and twos, but wasn't as successful just because he doesn't have the, the lateral movement, can hold his own good screen navigator. He's pretty much what you'd expect from a 28-year-old rotation guy that doesn't really have a great offensive game. Offensively, he can hit freeze when he's wide open, but it's not consistent. Can attack the closeouts, lets to get to the rim. Has a little bit of burst to him, has a little bit of a hop to him. He just seems like a complete guy. Now, when I'm looking at it, one of the things that I've kind of noted is, and I think this is really important in my opinion, is that when you look at Lehman, Lehman looks very much like a complete version of Sam Hauser. And what I mean by that is somebody that can play a bit of defense, that's going to be used as a stretch guy, that they're going to ask to shoot off movement, shoot off the catch. Houser's already a better shooter than what Lehman is, but Lehman has the advantage defensively. And if you're going to have to choose between the two guys, especially for minutes if they're both on the roster, I'd much rather be giving those minutes to Hauser to see if you can get him to where Lehman's defensive level is. Because if you do, Hauser's going to be a far better player than what Lehman is at this point in his career. However, if you can't do that and you don't feel that Hauser's defense is great, then you are going to run with Lehman just because he fits what Emei Odoka's system's all about in terms of switching, versatility, ball pressure. You're just not going to get the same offensive output. So I think you just touched on something pretty important in bringing up Sam Hauser. And with the group of guys that we're, we're talking about today with Jake Lehman being the latest, the more that these type of guys are being brought in by Brad Stevens in this front office, the more it almost feels like a cosign that they are ready to see Sam Hauser get some experience. Because I can't see a world in which a lot of these guys are going to take minutes away. They're going to be insurance policies, whichever one of them wins kind of the survivor training camp style that we're going to have here of these young veterans who's going to walk away with the torch that gets to sit on the end of the bench and be the new Malik Fitz. You know? but, I, but I think each time one of these new guys is signed, it's it's it, it's a cosign, like I said, that Sam Hauser is going to be the one that receives that early season opportunities to to be that last guy in the rotation that is going to actually get those ten to fifteen minutes, maybe a bit more. And especially when you look at the Gallo injury now, there's even more minutes that have opened up. And I know we have talked about on on this podcast, you know, looking at hey, is this does that mean now we go get Mello or we there's been interest in Mello and of course that was shot down a little bit last week in some reports from uh, Brian Robb and Chris Forsberg and others. And you know if they're not going to go that route, that's an endorsement of Sam Hauser. The signing of of Jake Lehman in a, in a weird way is an endorsement of Sam Hauser, and so that that means you know internally they're feeling pretty good about at least going through training, going into training camp and most likely through training camp with that being your option for your 
ninth, 10th guy, whatever it might be when we start to, to look at the rotation. And, you know, if you're Sam Hauser, you know, you got to feel kind of good about that, right? That they're not jumping to say, hey, we lost Gallo. We got to go find someone that fills those minutes. And they keep reiterating, we feel good with what we have internally. And, in, you know, that's code for, for Sam Hauser. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those big votes of confidence, right? And when you look at it, Sam Hauser's only two inches shorter than Gallo. So there is a world where you can play small ball and maybe slide him up to the five. I definitely wouldn't recommend it, but crazier things have happened at sea. So I do think there's an option where you, if you do feel like Houses' defense has improved this offseason and you're very confident in having him as a floor spacer, you can plug and play him the same way you were going to plug and play Gallo. Gallo yeah. wasn't brought in to give you no defense. This I was, was going to say, the, the floor spacing is the number one thing, at least for right now. Obviously, long-term, you want to see the defense, but Gallo is a guy at his point in, in his career was not going to be a stalwart on defense. So when you think of it as, from a minutes perspective, a, a one-to-one re- replacement in, in, in that sense, it's it's the spacing and the, the shooting that Gallo, that you're hoping Hauser in his limited minutes will be able to to fulfill that role because, like we said, Gallo wasn't going to be, you know, uh, and no one was going to confuse Gallinari with Alex Caruso on the defense. <laughs> and this is what makes me kind of liken Hauser to Lehman because they're shooting in terms of form, getting that high arc, that bit of a flick shot so they get that nice rainbow arc on the shot. is very similar. Their builds are very similar. The way they handle the rock, quite loose, kind of like sometimes you feel like they're looking at the ball more than looking at what was going on. Very similar. The only difference is one's more more developed on the offensive end, one's more developed on the defensive end. And now, like I say, if Hauser can kind of level that playing field defensively, Lehman doesn't really have a need on this roster at that point. Now, if I'm Boston, I'm like, well, we can bring Lehman in, or we've got Hauser here already. We took him on from an undrafted rookie, developed him in Maine, bought him through to the Celtics rotation, and we're going to do good by him. We're going to keep developing him, keep giving him minutes, and that's going to look good on us as an organization. It's going to make other potential undrafted free agents have an interest in signing with us as well. And it breeds loyalty through Hauser because we gave him the shot. We've helped him establish himself as an NBA guy. I also think he's probably the best pure shooter outside of the stars on the team. So you definitely want... Yeah, maybe Pritchard. Yeah, actually. Who do you reckon is a better pure shooter? Hauser or Pritchard? I mean, it's tough, right? Because it's we've seen Pritchard do it in some high leverage moments. Like there was a stretch during the playoffs where it felt like, you know, with with the way that Pritchard was getting minutes, he would get minutes kind of end of the first, beginning of the second quarter. And it it seemed like the beginning of the fourth quarter, he would always kind of be in the the mix. And and there were several games where he hit big shots. And I was starting to expect him to come in and hit a big shot, right? So so it's it's tough because I have, I feel like at, at this point in time, I have to lean Pritchard just because I've seen it in high leverage moments I've seen it in you know meaningful NBA minutes Hauser and it you know like I like I've said before when you look at Hauser and you look at you know our old friend Aaron Neesmith one one of them shots used to go in and garbage time one of them didn't a lot of time the one that did <laughs> used to go in is still on the team you know and so it's you know take from that what you will so but I think I'd have to lean Pritchard on that just out of a sense of, of what I've seen and what I know so the question is is Pritchard a better shooter or is he just a better shot maker TBD. I mean, that's, honestly, I, I, I think that's, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know what that's going to be because I think Hauser, the, you know, what his shot makeup is going to be is probably going to be a little bit different than Pritchard. He's yeah. going to be more of a, I think they're both going to be kind of, you know, the floor spacers, but you're going to see Pritchard shoot up the dribble, I think, far more than you're going to see Sam Hauser. And you're going to see Pritchard create a shot himself. 
Whereas Hauser, I think you want him to be a little bit more of that movement shooter. Not that you don't, not that you are against that from Peyton Pritchard, but it hasn't necessarily been, you know, in the first two years that we've seen a ton. But with Hauser, you kind of want to see him cutting off some screens, coming around in that almost, you know, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson type mold where you're stretching the defense with your movement. And then, oh, all of a sudden, you know, Rob Williams is rolling to the rim and there's an alley-oop open because teams are looking for, you know, Hauser curling around and they're distracted or you're opening up more lanes because you're taking eyeballs and gravity away from the star players. That's kind of what you want out of Hauser. So it, it will be interesting to see. And I, and that's what, you know, with Gallo, he might not have been necessarily as much of a movement shooter, but he was also going to be someone that could take the scoring offensive load where it's, hey, we got five, six, seven seconds left in the shot clock. And hey, who's someone that can get us a bucket? Gallo was going to be one of those guys. That's where you're really going to miss Gallo, I think, when you're trying to replace him with Hauser or, you know, if, if Cornet gets some more minutes or whatever it might be. That's where you're really going to going to miss out on the on those Gallo, that Gallo opportunity. So when you're looking at like Hauser versus Lehman, the one thing that Lehman's got that Hauser doesn't, and I think he could learn from him if they were on the same roster through the season, is Lehman's exceptional at off-ball movement. And I think that's something that Hauser wasn't great at last season. He he didn't time his movement very well. You know, when you have to sink into the corner, lift towards the slot, maybe you drive baseline and then alcut up towards the top of the perimeter. There's different ways to off-ball move, and I felt that Hauser was rather stationary for the majority of the time. And as you said, when you're looking for that Duncan Robinson, Matt Struess role, you do need to be more mobile you need to be moving mm -hmm. consistently continually making defenders look for where you are back cut opportunities can open up and all this other stuff so even if it's just in training camp watching what layman does as an off-ball guy because he gets the opportunities the only dis the only thing is teams disrespect him by sagging us yeah they're not yeah because the, the percentages have not been great for him you know in his nba career i think for his career is around 30 percent from three yeah, i believe 30 percent. yeah and so you know it's like i said it's tough to have gravity when you're 30 percent you know last year in his limited opportunities was was right at 23 percent, which is yeah. you know certainly not gonna gonna have that gravitational pull that you're looking for but i know you've done a certainly more than I have, you know, dive into Jake Lehman. And I believe you have a piece up on, on Celtics blog that people can go check out by the time that, by the time that this comes out. Right. Soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if it's not there now, click refresh. You'll, you'll see it eventually. It will, it will get up there, but you know, it, that does seem like something that you're, you're seeing in the tape that you've watched up in, whether it's from Portland or Minnesota, that he does have the movement aspect. It's just the completion of actually making the shot of where maybe it's not coming to fruition. Oh, for sure. Like, um, he gets to the rim a bit, but he doesn't really finish through traffic very well. He's left open for most of his three-point shots. Like I say, the shooting form's actually quite good. Very reminiscent of Hauser in that sense. But the accuracy is not there. Sometimes it feels like he's putting a bit too much power on because he backrooms out a bunch. So it's definitely just tweaks and little adjustments. And maybe he could figure out how to be a, a reasonable 35, 36% shooter with the right coaching staff around him. Mm-hmm. But at this moment in time, Hauser is the better shooter. He has similar size. It's just that defense. But that defense is a question mark because we haven't seen it this season. Yeah. Everyone improves over the offseason. And Hauser went away knowing that was an area that he needed to improve. If you want minutes on an Emma Odoka team, you need to at least be reasonable defensively. Unless your name's Gallinari, apparently. But <laughs> so, yeah, I think that Lehman's got a good opportunity. He's definitely the most complete player out of the group entering training cramp. I think he's more complete than Van Le. Caboclo, probably the same, more complete. Justin Jackson, I think, brings you a, 
a little bit more scoring, a little bit of activity, can handle the ruck a little bit. I actually think he's got a really good chance of making the rust the rover everybody as well. Well, let's let's go there now then. Let's let's talk about, you know, this group of of young veterans that the Celtics have brought in. And the guys just for everyone at home listening that we're talking about is Noah Vonley, Justin Jackson, Denzel Valentine, Bruno Caboclo, and most recently Jake Lehman. And, you know, and, and let's actually think about it like from this perspective, Adam. How many roster spots are the Celtics truly going to have on the back end of that bench? Because they've got their two-way guys, right? So they've got J.D. Davison and they've got Mafiando Mafiando Cabangeli. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get my guy's name right by the end of the season. I promise. We'll 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 get there. We got the two-way guys locked in. There's only and correct me if I'm wrong here. There's 15 total roster spots, two of which are the two-way guys that I just mentioned. And so that leaves you with 13 roster spots, correct? Yes. Okay, so I think right now they're looking to ultimately fill, I believe, I don't know if it's, I should have looked this up before. This would have been great, great homework for the podcast here. How many spots we actually have left to go ahead and fill? Because then I think it's interesting to think about who does fill, fill those spots. So I think there's three spots available because one of those guys on the deal at the moment is non-guaranteed. So you've got those three spots and I don't envision them using all of them on these training camp guys. I think they yeah. leave at least one open so they've got, flexibility if somebody comes off waivers because you can use a TPE to claim somebody off waivers or sign somebody off waivers. So they might leave that flexibility there or they might want to be able to bring somebody in if an injury occurs and there's still people on the free agency market that can fill that void. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you sign a guy later in the season, the whole the full amount of the contract doesn't necessarily count against their order cap. Yeah. I'd have to check that with Keith to be certain, but I'm pretty sure that's how it, would it starts. Work. Well, it starts to prorate as the season yeah. goes on, and then, then that will change what the tax hit is. But yeah, it, it, we'd have to double check with our our tax with our with our tax accountant Keith Smith. Yeah, we were NBA <laughs> accountant Keith Smith. So, but along those lines, that makes sense to me. I can see them at most giving out two deals off this. Yeah. I, I think I think leaving that open spot is a, is a good bet, and that kind of harkens back to the part of you know the the cosign for Hauser, but having flexibility where oh okay maybe this isn't quite what what we thought was working out, and maybe Mello is still floating out there. Maybe there's you know somebody else that like you said is off waivers or whatever it might be, and so having that extra roster spot for that flexibility in case the right you know the right move or you know. It, going another route is out there. I, I would expect that to be almost a certainty going into the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think that you have to do that if you want to be able to stay competitive and stay fluid. And then when you look at who could take those two spots, who have you got? Because at the minute I am leaning more towards who I want to take the spots and who I think take them are completely mm -hmm. different. So I think that Justin Jackson gets a spot and that would be the only person I'd take. I think for right now, I think I think he certainly has to have a little bit of an, an inside track. Uh, and I don't know if we if we threw Roderick Thomas in this, but I think he maybe or is he the one that's on the um uh what's the what's the, what is why is the word escape? Non guaranteed. Yes, that was the word I was looking for. So I think Vonley is the non guaranteed. Or Vonley is the non guaranteed. Okay. I well, I think you're wrong there. Yeah, we'll we'll double check that. But you know, I, I think to your point, Justin Jackson, because of his, you know, a little bit of familiarity from the summer league run he is going to be someone that certainly has an inside track. And I think just from, you know, getting a chance to watch him play, he is someone that you could envision if you needed to have him in a, in a few game stretch that he could give you some valuable minutes that, you know, that wouldn't hurt you. I think Noah Vonley is another interesting one that I would like to see work out a little bit of that is, you know, the hometown thing. And you could say the same thing uh, about Jake Lehman. 
and really Adam, the the guy that I want to work out that I don't think is going to is Denzel Valentine. I was a big big fan of him at Michigan State. Uh, I think it was either his second or third year that he was with the Bulls. It really seemed like he was kind of something that he was going to be, you know, something in that. And of course, you know, everyone's trying to find those, you know, those tweener roles. He's six four. He's kind of, you know, he's not really a shooting guard. And he's also really kind of not big enough to be a small forward. So it's it's what is he? Is he where does he fit in? But he could handle the ball a little bit. You know, he was a guy that was pretty versatile at, at Michigan State, did a little bit of everything. He was someone that I really wanted to see work out. It, it's been a, quite a bit since he's had a real NBA run or he's had a chance to to really make an impact and stand out. He was someone that I'm, I'm at least very interested during training camp to get a chance to look at. But I think I would probably sign off on your Justin Jackson has the inside track. And then just because I know we're looking for more front court depth, I would probably lean Noah Vonley as maybe the if there were to be two guys within this group that get the opportunity. I think potentially it could be him. I like Vonley in terms of the fact that he brings size and I think that for a big man he likes to handle the ruck a lot but the one downside I've got with him is when I watched him in China he didn't really stand out and the reason that's a problem is because you're playing in China you're <laughs> meant to stand out Jim yeah. Fredette was a god like J.R. Yeah, Smith was a god Stephon yeah. Marbury was a god was a god and Vanley kind of just fitting quite well. I remember watching the Shanghai game where they were playing, uh, where he was facing off against Jalil Okafor, and that was quite an interesting battle to watch. I think that Vanley held his own against Jalil. Both of them are kind of throwback big men. I haven't heard the name Jalil Okafor in so long. That's a, China. <laughs> that's a sad story, man. I, I actually, I really believe in Jalil Okafor early in his career, man. I mean, I know he was a bit more, you know back to the basket, almost like a late 90s, early 2000 style of player. But I really thought he was talented, man. I can't believe how quickly his, his career ended up in China. He just didn't get the opportunities, man. But I do think, well, he did, but he just didn't work out. But what I'm saying is, like, Jalil kind of had the bit of the better of Vonley for a lot of that game. And that made me think, like, well, Jalil's not really standing out in China either. And when you look at Vonley, one of the biggest knocks on him for me during his time with New York was he was prone to over dribble. I felt like if he was definitely trying to beat guys off the bounce rather than be a big man. So I'd like, I'm curious to see how he's developed, whether or not he's going to be able to accept more of a, just, you know, a screener role type of role occupied a dunker spot. If you're outside on the perimeter and you pick and pop, so be if you need to attack a closeout, you do have the handle to do so, but I'm not convinced that he's going to be capable of filling because when I think about this, I'm not like, yeah, you're a, fifth, a 14th or a 13th man or a 15th man. I'm like, if you're called upon for a significant stretch of basketball because of injury or people resting and it's more than a game is what I'm saying, a significant mm-hmm. stretch, can you hold your own enough to not be a liability and not start le- letting things slide? You know what I'm saying? And that's the biggest question mark I've got over Noah Vanley. And that's kind of why I've lent more towards bringing in a veteran off the free agency in that big man spot, just because you're a veteran for a reason, because you give a consistent level of effort, a consistent level of production. And Vanley is very much an unknown quantity at this point, because you don't know what type of developments he's made while being away. And again, he didn't stand out while playing in a significantly weaker league. Yeah. I mean, I think out of the, I mean, I think all of these guys are going to be 
relative question marks in, in different ways if they are to make the roster. But I, I think for me, Vonley, Jackson, Lehman, those are going to be the three with the best chance to come opening night actually be beyond this roster. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And obviously they've still got, I think they're at 19 now. You can take 20 into training camp. So there's mm-hmm. still a chance another guy gets picked up going into training camp. You might as well have the full 20 before you start making cuts. Let me ask you this, Adam, before we, we move on to our final topic here today. So with this, you know, if we're reading the tea leaves here and, and the reports that came out, it sounds like, you know, it, even if the Celtics add one more to get to that 20, it's probably going to be another guy like this, right? Or it's going to be someone that maybe, you know, has some some foreign experience, but has a little bit of, you know, was drafted, you know, three, four, five years ago, similar to these guys, whatever it might be. So it sounds like they are not going to go down that Carmelo route, or maybe even a, you know, like you said, for front court depth, you know, looking at a Boogie Cousins or insert anyone else that, that's on the market at this point. Are you cool with that? Are you, are you cool with this approach that it seems like they're going to take that going into training camp, we're not going to go after one of these more flashy veterans that are still available on the market. And we're going to see what we get from the bargain bin. We're going to trust in Sam Hauser and we'll see what happens from there. Are you cool with that approach? I've talked myself into a, a different way of, expe- of expecting things to happen, which tells me I'm not cool with that approach because I've had to, I've had to talk myself. <laughs> when, when you have to do mental gymnastics to get yourself around to a take, that's usually a good sign that this wouldn't be my first approach. Yeah, so the way I'm looking at it is they're definitely trying to see what's under the hood of these younger veterans. They're looking for that potential upside. If... They are not impressed with what's there. If they don't think that there's going to be impact there, then they'll go to the free agency market. Like you've got to remember that this tax hit is going to be, I think I read somewhere, I think it was in a Chris Forsberg piece that for every dollar spent, it's a four, but it's like basically spending $4.50. So there's a, there's a certain area where it, it raises from, I think it goes from like three fifty to four twenty five dollars or and something a, like that. And then they're close to that. To that movie, yeah. So like bringing in a, a DeMarcus Cousins isn't costing you two million; it's costing you closer to ten. Yeah, and then I'm like, well, if that was me, I'd want to see what these cheap dudes can do first too. I don't want to spend ten million for a two million dude. But if you're not convinced and you come away thinking, man, if someone goes down, we're really going to be in a mess, and we could end up looking back like we should have picked up Dwight or Hassan or Boogie, then maybe we just go and do it now, right? So that's kind of what I've got myself in, into that train of thought. They're giving the younger guys every opportunity to succeed but if they fail to prove that they're capable of succeeding you still have that free agent market to dip your toes into and there's quite a few flashier name big men available that if one or two of them came off the board you still have one or two options available to you yeah um i'm I'm in a very similar spot to you where I could take the other the other position of okay, I get it. Let's see what we have. Let's you know the silver lining of of Gallo going down, more opportunity to find out earlier on what we have with Sam Hauser, and he can kind of feel a little bit more confident in in the, in the minutes that he's going to get, and that it won't be as sporadic because he's going to have to play. He's going to have to play even in small increments. He's he's going to be someone that we will see on the court, and so I get it. I do. But there's a part of me, it's, this team is championship ready. We're, we're talking championships here. We're talking rings. We ain't talking, you know, it'd be like going into last year. I, I think collectively between me, you and Greg, we all thought the ceiling was somewhere around the second round. You know, a, a really hard fought second round exit would have been a really big win for this team after the year they were coming off. 
And to see what they did and really know that one of the downfalls by the time you reach the finals was just that depth, man. We just didn't have enough quality depth. And listen, they said that they would go into the tax. They went to the tax. They went and got Brogdon. They made the signing for Gallo. Obviously, the injury is extremely unfortunate. But there's part of me that just, yes, I get Boogie or Mello or whoever it might be, that $2 million is really $8, $10 million, whatever, whatever it might be. It's going to be hard for me to, to shed a tear when, when you own a, a, an investment that's worth about probably three and a half to four billion. And if you win a title, it's only going to be worth more. And you paid 300 million for it 20 something years ago. So I get it. It's not my money. And, you know, it's expensive to bring in a guy that you know is going to be a very bit piece. And so it probably financially and strategically makes more sense to see if you can find something on the cheap first. But, there's part of me that that is a little weary of then those guys are off the market and you get to December and you're like, well, crap, that didn't work. And now we're left with, I don't know who see who's out there. Maybe we get lucky. Maybe someone else pops in the market. Maybe they don't. So, you know, taking that, you know, what if scenario out of play and going to get somebody that like, at least for me, especially when it comes to mellow. I think is someone that would be a valuable would be a value add to this team. I prefer them do it, but like you, I can uh, I can limber up, I can stretch and do a few gymnastics, and I can come around and, and see the view from their perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I used to be very big on hey, we shouldn't be telling people how to spend that money, right? And in this off season, when Chelsea, the soccer team, were up for sale, and then Pags, Steve Pags was were leading a consortium to buy it and I think Chelsea were worth like 4.5 billion I'm like dude if you've got money to buy a soccer team you definitely got money yeah. to go into the tax bro that's what I mean like the Celtics like the Celtics ownership group they they bought the Celtics back and I think it was either 2000 2002 for you know about 300 million and between then and now, let's just say they haven't stopped making money in that time frame. And the Celtics, as an organization, they bought for $300 million. Just to reiterate, if you go look them up on Forbes, they're worth somewhere between about 3 to $3.5 I'm not great at math, Adam, as we found out when me, you, and Greg were talking the other day about how many minutes go on in an entire basketball game. Not my forte, not my strength. But I can tell you, that's a damn good return on your investment if you bought something for $300 million and it's now worth $3.something billion. Once again, I'm saying billion with a B. Like, you're going to be all right if you go into the tax because you can look at a team like the Warriors is a great example. You know, when they their ownership group bought their team back, I think it was, it was around 2010 or so, they bought them for about $450, million. They've been to, what, six of the last eight NBA finals, won four of them. They're now, I believe, either the most or second most valued franchise in the league at about five to six million or five to six billion. Once again, billion with a B. So, you look at the way that this team is set up for a long run of success. If you're willing to invest that 2 million, that's that's really 10 million or 8 million for boogie or for mellow or for whoever it might be. There's a very nice reward at the end of that rainbow. If you go ahead and take it and the Celtics can cash in on that. So like I said, it's, you know, not our money, but I ain't going to feel bad telling them to spend it. Either. Yeah. I don't feel guilty in the slightest. Let's be fair here. So the last topic we've got, and the reason I'm saying it like this is because there was no good segue, to be quite honest with you. Well, you brought up Chelsea soccer. That's actually, I was actually thinking that might be the segue, but, okay. but I kind of jumped in with some more thought. <laughs> so the Chelsea segue, let's go with Chelsea. So Chelsea are a soccer team. Soccer, soccer team is playing mid-season tournaments every year as a native Englishman. Soccer is ubiqu ubiquitous around me. 
I think I've pronounced that word right. I use it a lot, but I learned it through reading. So the pronunciation isn't always there. I'm very, very against soccer in terms of it's just forced down my throat. It's not really a sport I find that I gravitate to, never has been. But the fact that the NBA are looking at doing some in-season tournaments, I feel like I'm very well-placed to give an opinion on the successes of in-season tournaments. Because when you go to, especially in England, where does you have the FA Cup, you have the League Cup, which is now the Carabao Cup or whatever you call it, those tournaments are often seen as the fairy tale tournaments, right? And it's a little bit different in soccer. What do you, what do you mean by fairy tale tournaments? I'm not so, familiar with that. So what happens is you get these teams, and in soccer, as I say, it's a bit different because you have different leagues with different tiers of teams. So you go from Premier all the way down to League Two, and obviously the quality between Premier and League Two is like going from which real quick. Adam, I'm actually learning about the tier system. I mean, I, I've known about it, but I'm learning more about it. I'm watching on uh, on FX. There's a great um, there's a great docu series uh, about Wrexham because Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought bought a team in the National League, which I believe is like tier either four or five out of this this tier system. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm getting up. I'm catching up on it. So this, the National League is like a semi pro league. Yeah, but they they used to be in like a tier yeah. two, and now they're all the way down in like semi pro. And what happens is like, you know, League Two is the equivalent of a division three college program where Premier League is the NBA equivalent. But when you're in this mid-season tournament in England, every team, especially the League Cup, every team from Premier to League Two are involved. So League Two teams play Premier League teams, League One teams play Premier League, or you've got championship teams. And what happens is a lot of the time, you'll get one of these smaller teams go on what they call a fairy tale run where they're beating some of the bigger teams and getting to the quarterfinals or the semifinals. And everybody's all invested because, hey, man, these guys, you know, they're earning like a thousand bucks a week and they're just taking down Chelsea that are worth $4.5 billion. You know what I'm saying? So, And that's not going to be the same with the NBA because obviously everybody's on a level playing field in terms of you all have NBA level talent. But what it does do is it gives teams that don't generally have an opportunity to contend, you know, your Sacramento Kings or your Sacramento Kings, <laughs> you know, rebuilding teams and stuff, right? It, all of a sudden, it gives these teams something to play for outside of a championship that's, you know, it's going to be a condensed period of play where anything can happen. Usually it's a winner-takes-all knockout style in every game, or that's how it is in England. Eight teams advance to single elimination final in December. 22 continue with regular season. And it gives these rebuilding teams or less successful franchises an opportunity to start offering an ability to win something. And it gets fan bases involved because all of a sudden, you know, imagine if Vince Carter was still around, never won a ring, always been the consummate professional after he got through his like early years where he's a bit more of a rebel. And then he gets an opportunity to play in this this tournament with atlanta and they get to the finals all the nba all true nba fans would tune in because you want to see vince carter win some form of chip or some form of championship and it might not be the the nba fight the, the larry o'brien trophy mm -hmm. but it's still a, it's still nba worthy recognition you won a tournament against nba competition yeah. and that's kind of the way it works and my mentality is with it you know, Sacramento go on a dream run and they knock out the Lakers in one game, the Clippers in another, because it's all single. 
and they're in the finals, the city of Sacramento would be like, it'd be like um, a scene out of Coach Carter where the entire community is behind that team for that run. And it just gives franchises an opportunity to taste success that don't generally have the market or the finances to be in a position to taste success. I'm going to come in and probably be a little bit of a, a Debbie Downer in this situation. I just don't know that it, it, it rallies the troops like that. And I guess, and actually w- one question I did have for you on the, you know, on the, on, on the soccer tournaments that are, that this is trying to emulate or replicate. So when you have that division three or division two team playing a premier league team, like Chelsea top, whatever is Chelsea and Tottenham still playing their best players in this mid season tournament, which is not the end goal, but it is a championship. It is a tournament. There's a trophy at the end. Are those top tier teams still playing their best guys? That's one question. I have. So that depends how deep they're expecting to go in other, because uh, this, the way it works a lot of the time is very much like, Hey, do we, are we expecting to go deep in Europe in the champions league? How's our, how's our premier league season going? And the way a lot, a lot of the coaches nowadays, like Jurgen Klopp at Guardiola and some of the other coaches that are in the league, they're very big on you play to win every game. So you play your best team or you, you know, you play some of your solid squad players against these other teams, because we've learned through history that when we play a weakened side, we lose. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is do you think of with the NBA, right? One of the things that always gets brought up is the constant load management throughout yeah. the season. And so I'm very curious to see how or if at all this changes a, a team's approach. And it, there's already been a clip of Mark Cuban talking about, yeah, we're not going to give it. We're not going to care about that tournament. It's not the until it's the Larry O'Brien trophy or it matters. Like we're we're, we're playing for the Larry O'Brien trophy. We're not playing for you know, whatever this is going to be called, the David Stern Cup or, you know, whatever. That's not the actual name. Put it to you like this, yeah, so you're going to have teams like that that are going to play, use the tournament if they're involved as a developmental tournament. So they get to give their young guys some competitive minutes against NBA level talent. Yeah. And then you're going to have other teams that are like, do you know what? If this has no impact on our draft seeding, like our draft odds, we're not, we're probably not making the playoffs this year. We'd rather play a skeleton like rotation in the regular season and really knuckle down and try and win this to give everybody a taste of when if you're Detroit and you've got Cade Cunningham and whoever else, you know, my brain is getting late here. My brain's gone blank. So you've got Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Beef Stew and all these guys. Mm -hmm. What's more important to you? You know, they're not going to make the playoffs next season, right? So, but now you have a chance to give them an opportunity to taste what success feels like, to really give them that, that, that feeling that we want to get to that next level and taste that even bigger success. Are you going to play your full team for the eight games and then have a skeleton rotation for eight games dotted around the season as load management? Or are you just got, not going to pay attention to a tournament that could help kick your team into a new gear in terms of effort and development? Yeah. I mean, I see the benefit for, for everything you're saying. I think this is entirely valid and listen. I'm very lukewarm on this idea, and I'm very happy to be wrong. I, I don't know if I will be, but I'm very happy to be because I think I'm, I'm going to tune in. I love the NBA. You can, I mean, I'm, I'm still a little lukewarm on the playing games. I think they're a little unnecessary, but it's extra basketball, so I'm not necessarily going to complain. And I do love the the pressure it puts on to get a top six seed. I think that's the best part of the playing games for me is the added pressure of staying out of them. The actual playing games themselves, eh, they're 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 fine. They're well, they yeah. Yeah, take it or leave it. I, I like the pressure on the sixth seed, though. I like, I really like that, you know, influencing 
the way teams are angling throughout the the regular season, I think that's an extremely positive effect of what the uh, of what the play in has done. Now, when it comes to this, I, I see I see the benefits for these young teams, but for me, I'm, I'm trying to think. So let's say we we go through this in 23 24 when it's proposed that it may come out, and we end up with a Pistons Kings final because. You know, the Mavericks were like, eh, it's kind of a back-to-back in the middle of November. We're going to sit Luka. You know, Giannis tweaked his toe. We're, we're not playing him for the Bucks. Or Celtics are going to rest Tatum and Brown. Or they're not going to push Malcolm Brogdon and, and Al Horford to play any extra minutes just because they're, you know, we, we've happened to win, win the games that we needed to to be in the single elimination tournament. And so we get to the end of the season and we look at it. And let's say the, you know, the the, the Bucks win the NBA title. And then we have the Pistons who won the David Stern midseason championship. I don't know. To me, it's just kind of I I don't really know what that means. And maybe that's because I don't understand the soccer model of it all. So so, it's like you have the Pistons that have won it. Yeah. mm -hmm. And, you know, the game, you know, the game was good or it was bad. It's whatever. The more important thing is what that does, one, for the city of Detroit in getting more interest in the game, bringing more money into that franchise in terms of jersey sales, in terms of attendance, because now they've won something and there's a feel-good factor in the city. And then what it does for those guys' development in terms of, if I'm Kate Cunningham and I've won the David Stern trophy, I'm like, man, this is what winning feels like in the NBA. Man, I want to feel this. But now I want the Larry O'Brien and these guys start taking their bodies more seriously, their training you know, and I'm not saying they don't, but there's always a yeah. way that you can find. So I look at it like that. And it's definitely like, I think I see it differently because I've grew up in a culture where there's always mid-season tournaments. Yeah. And, like, and this is why I wanted to talk about it because you have that perspective. Because to me, this feels like it's closer to the Summer League Championship than it is ever to the Larry O'Brien well, the, the, the other thing I need to say that's a huge difference that needs to be touched on is... And again, I'm not a soccer fan. Like, it's around me all the time. So I hear the conversations, but I don't really care. Like, it's a 34-game, 36-game season mm-hmm. in the Premier League. That's it. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? The rest of the games are... But their season is shorter to allow for these tournaments to take place. They're not adding... It's not like the Premier League was 60 games and then they added these league. You know what I mean? The Premier League is 36 games. Everyone plays each other twice. Or... I don't know how many teams are in the Premier League. Again, I'm not a soccer fan, but it's quite <laughs> But then you have, obviously, your League Cup, your uh, FA Cup. Then you have your Champions League if you're successful. And those games are what build the season up. This is different. This is an 82-game schedule. Plus, we're going to add another eight games, plus the playing tournament. Well, no, the eight, the eight games will be a part of the 82-game schedule. So that, oh. so that will be the, only the two teams that make it to the championship of whatever this in-season tournament. They'll have 83 total games versus 82, which I don't know how that will... I mean, I'm sure it's fine. It's one game, whatever. Um, so, so at least that they won't change that too much for me. Like you said, I think it's a big difference between having grown up with it, having not grown up with it to me, you know, it's, it's more basketball, which I'm happy to watch because I, I love the sport of basketball. So I'm, I'm very happy to watch it. But, uh, but I think for me, like I said, it feels more summer league ish where I can't name you. I, I don't even know who won the last summer. I have no, I know the Celtics played in the championship two years ago. I think they lost to the Kings. I have no idea who was in the Summer League Championship this year. And I won't be able to tell you probably next year who, who else is, you know, who is in it. And so I think to me, it feels more like that. But 
like I said, I am very happy to be wrong. I, I think once they announce whatever the incentives are or what the prizes are, maybe that changes yeah. it. Because unless you have the best of the best going at their best, I'll be honest, I don't really care. Like, I so mean, I'll, my, I'll watch it, but I don't care. So my thing is maybe it shouldn't be in December, right? And the reason I say this is because it's too early in the season. So maybe it should be in a February where some of these good teams with solid players have they're not being they're not making it as deep into the seed like you know they're not that top three seed so if you're the lakers and you're like man this isn't working out this year mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to try okay to, to save our season and this is how a lot of premier league teams look at it as well right like hey we've fallen behind pace in the premier league we're not we're not winning this year it's not happening right yeah so to save our season we need to try and win a cup a league cup and FA cup. We need to win one of these tournaments instead. Yeah. So then if it was later in the season and you've got the Lakers or the Celtics or the Bucks or the Sixers, the Sixers are probably a prime example. And they're like, man, we did all this work to win. We brought in loads of new guys. It's not working out. The season's pretty much done for, you know, we're going to be a low seed. We're going to get, it's not going to work. Oh, but we, we need to win this tournament. If we win this tournament, at least we've had some form of success. Something we can fall back on. Some yeah. success that we can, then, we can build momentum on, of course. And that's the way you start to build competitiveness within that tournament, right? Because then you've got the, the younger teams trying to win to get a taste of success and have a building platform. And then you get the, the more solidified rotations trying to win. So they have something to show for the season. And having it in December kind of takes that away. You'd rather it in that February region. And now, Adam, you gave me an idea here. Throw it in February and make the championship a neutral site event at NBA All-Star Saturday weekend. Exactly. And that would That's be how, the idea. That would be how I did it. And that would be the reasoning behind why I did it was because at that point, you've just got that little bit more where you know some teams have nothing left to play for because they've, they've kind of come to that realization. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity to save the season. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's an interesting idea. I know it's been floated around for a while now. Uh, I, I just think, like, to your point, it, it's a lot different when you don't have that relegation factor. You don't have outside yeah. teams or leagues. I mean, there's a way in which you could get real weird with this in, like, kind of that Champions League style where you get, you know, Real Madrid or or Barcelona, whoever wins the Spanish League, whoever wins, you know, a, a South American League, whatever, to, to participate. But then it gets, I don't know, that gets even more complicated. The logistics are such, it, I mean, yeah. you got to think, like, you can fly across Europe in, like, three, three and a half hours, four hours max, yeah. one side of Europe to the other, whereas... You can't even flow across the states in that time, bro. Exactly, exactly. It, it's going to be something that doesn't make sense. So, you know, we'll see. I thought it was interesting to bring up because I wanted to get your perspective as someone that grew up with this being a very normal part of of sports life for you, you know, in your childhood, in your adulthood, in your, you know, in your culture, in your community. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to see what the reaction is. I feel like when this news dropped about a, about a week or so ago or a couple of days ago, it was very mixed. It was it was very okay. Tell me more. And so I, I'm going to be very interested to see if this does unite and rally. You know, some of these smaller market teams that maybe have a chance to win something that wouldn't have a chance to certainly be in the Larry O conversation, but could be in this conversation. See what it does for them. Uh, and maybe at the end of the day, I'm just being a big market bully, and you know, and I'm only thinking about Larry O and the in the banners. So I'd also it is what it is. I'd also like a, a team that was comprised of ringless veterans 
I think that would be dope. Well, that's like, I mean, even even throw in, uh, you know, the, the Lakers, basically. I, I've seen this thrown around on Twitter, you know, with all the free agents that are still out there that we touched on some of them, put them all on the team. You have, yeah. you know, Dennis Schroeder and Avery Bradley and Mello and Boogie and whatever. They're getting bounced, dude. They're getting bounced. Well, they're getting bounced, but hey, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a showcase for them. Maybe that's an opportunity to be like, hey, they've got more in the tank than we thought. They, you know, they made a surprise run in this turn in this whatever tournament and they won a game and it's like oh maybe maybe we need to give you know avery bradley another look i don't know i'm just like the old trash team the nba old trash, all team. trash team <laughs> <laughs> right everybody we're wrapping up here i hope y'all have a good wednesday got an extra show coming to you on thursday and then i got a dose of you coming to you on friday as well until later we will bid you a farewell peace y'all Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do.